welcome to October's Archimedes Podcast, the evidence-based podcast of the Archives of Diseases of Childhood. In this podcast, we tell you all about two clinical questions that have been asked by real clinicians who've gone out and searched the evidence to see what they can find, thought about it deeply, appraised it for its strengths and weaknesses, and come back with a recommendation about what you can do in practice. We also have a little clip it or snip it about thinking about how to do evidence-based medicine, and we have lots of lovely stings, musical interludes that break up the pieces, just like this one. So our snippet on evidence-based medicine this month is related to our near oath that we sign when we commit to paediatrics. Children are not little adults. And whilst this is definitely true, after all, how often have you ever seen someone smile whimsically at a grown-up asleep in a unicorn onesie while being carried home? You know that that statement does have some shades of truth in it. But for some situations, we can't easily extrapolate trials and studies that have been undertaken in adults and apply them to children or teenagers. For example, in the risk stratification systems for febrile neutropenia that seem to work quite differently in the teenage population and the childhood population and the adult population. But in other situations, say the treatment of Ewing's sarcoma, it's less true. And actually, the difference between children and teenagers and adults is one of size rather than anything else. But do we think about the differences between, say, neonates, particularly very premature neonates, and term infants, and older infants, and children. I mean, avoiding the obvious issues of the initial respiratory distress syndrome or surfactant deficiency, and maybe necrotizing enterocolitis, where the actual diagnosis doesn't exist in the other forms, we should also be careful about our extrapolations, both one way downwards in age and, and the other way upwards in age. It's It's a bit like considering carefully the way that we would extrapolate to either side of puberty, but in a tinier form and not related to sex hormones. You see, there have been people who've thought about this really quite carefully, and the in-paediatric, as it were, distinctions have been sort of identified and highlighted by the work of the Star Child Group. Now, the Star Child Group is a, a, a bunch based in Canada that are dedicated to the improvement of trials in children and in child health, but also standardisation and sort of thoughtful thinking about how to put these things together. And what they've done is outlined a set of best guesses for the age categories that can broadly be used. And it might be that in some situations you collapse those together or maybe you separate them out. When it comes to the baby end of things, they suggest thinking about premature infants, those 0 to 28 days, 28 days to 12 months and 12 months upwards should be considered quite differently. And then if we think about that, When we do an analysis of the studies or we think about how we're going to take those studies and put them into practice, we have to be more circumspect when we're passing age barriers, particularly if we're jumping to age barriers, a little bit almost like you think about the centiles on a growth chart. Evidence-based medicine is always about taking the best evidence we have available and interpreting it in the light of our expertise and understanding. And this is just a little twist on that that maybe we haven't thought about so much in the past. Now, the first of our little clinical questions this week is 
what antibiotics should we use to treat children with an acute exacerbation of non-cystic fibrosis, bronchiectasis? And also, while we're wondering about this, what should we use for long-term prevention? The background is a girl who's just turning teen who presents after a long history of bronchiectasis with increasing wet cough and temperature. It looks like another exacerbation of her bronchiectasis and you want to put her on some antibiotics to treat it, but it's unclear which antibiotics are most likely to be effective. There's a vague history of possible penicillin allergy and there aren't any relevant sputum results to guide you at the moment. This led on to asking the clinical question in an exacerbation of bronchiectasis, that's the population, does the treatment with amoxicillin, a simple antibiotic intervention, compared with alternative antibiotics, for example the clarithromycin or um, cormoxiclav, lead to more effective exacerbation resolution? This went on to search across Medline and Embase and Cochrane, and they identified around 117 articles that might have been relevant. Nine of these were felt to be probably relevant, but five of them included lots of adults, and a further two of them looked just at the long-term antibiotic treatment. Now, if we have a think about those trials, what we've got is largely trials that are based in adult practice, but also with 179 children with a mild exacerbation of bronchiectasis, that randomising to cormoxiclav uh, against azithromycin. And then largish trials with adult patients in, and another trial of 90 or so children who were indigenous to Australia um, with bronchiectasis or some other sort of lung disease like that. And they were randomised to azithromycin against placebo, looking in the long term rather than the short term. And then a whole group of trials in mainly adult patients looking at their treatment of exacerbations. Again, looking at azithromycin, looking at ciprofloxacin, looking at amoxicillin to treat with this. When you pull all of these trials together, what you find is that the azithromycin is the one that's probably been used most usefully and most frequently with good results. But there is evidence when it's been used over a longer period of time or used in or used more often that macrolide resistance should emerge and you should probably do that in the setting of what you understand. There is evidence in the adult population that giving long-term antibiotics does reduce the exacerbation rate. Very few of those are directly relevant to children, but thinking about how different is the disease process in children versus adults, it, it's not as if the bugs themselves are very, very small in children and much bigger in adults, is it? And it's not as if the pathology is markedly different. So maybe we can call an exacerbation an exacerbation, and maybe we can think about long-term prophylaxis in a similar sort of way. Now, when we're looking at that, what we're seeing is no massive benefit for one type of antibiotic over another in that long-term prophylaxis situation. And that would call then for a choice of antibiotic based around local or the individual person's uh, microbiological resistance pattern. And I think some careful thinking about when the most likely periods of infection are and maybe having antibiotic holidays during periods of least likely to be infected. That report was put together by Elizabeth Gregson at the Children's Hospital in Sheffield. And you too can put these together. Now, what we have next is an interview with an Archimedes author. And if you're an Archimedes author, you might be able to be an interview too. 
So we're really lucky for the other Archimedes that we published this month to have one of the authors with us. This is about the use of caffeine in bronchiolitis, not caffeine in neonates. And Osama Hoshe of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit down at Birmingham Children's Hospital is with us to talk about the uh, Archimedes that got published. So, Osama, can you tell us the situation that set you off thinking about this? Absolutely. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Bob. So basically, apart from the pediatric intensive care training, we do um, um, clinical question, basically. It's a, it's a PICO type question. And one of the questions that came up in my mind, especially in the winter month, uh, were, which I encountered uh, referring many, many babies with bronchiolitis. And uh, we did discuss many times in our meetings on PICU whether we can use caffeine or no. And it seems that it, it was buying us some time whether it's because it was working or it's just because the bronchitis has got better and the kid you know, just improved smoothly and uh, with no really intervention. We did not know really exactly what is the right answer, but it, it did help us somehow. And whether it's a type of homeopathy that we are thinking about, but I thought, you know what, I'm just going to search and just see the evidence behind it. And this is how the idea came up. And I started really structuring my question and putting all the data together, in, including the uh, most recent evidence, which is an, an RCP, which probably will touch base on, on that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, a part of your training, encouraging you to do critically appraised topics, encouraging you to think in an evidence-based way. Absolutely. A way you search Medline, PubMed, Embase, Cochrane, tried to drag everything together. And it looks like you had like 300 or so articles that were possibly there, but really coming down to, um, uh, to, to much fewer than that when you came down to it. Uh, I wonder if you could give us like a, a brief summary of what the evidence is and, and what your summary really of, of that is um, coming into it from a position where clearly we know it works in neonates. You had a feel that you were using it in ICU, but wasn't sure whether it worked or not. Um, what did the evidence end up showing? So basically, the evidence is really, really scarce about uh, using caffeine in uh, bronchiolitis. The first Archimedes has been published about caffeine in bronchiolitis was in 2005. Uh, and since then, nobody's tried even to, to look into this. And despite the multiple retrospective uh, anecdotal, probably, I would say, uh, data that I collected, the only strong evidence that I found out is just uh, the Ansari et al. Uh, from Qatar. And that's actually a purely pediatric emergency department, not related to PICU or to general pediatric ward. Uh, so the evidence, like I mentioned, is somehow is not really encouraging because even this is the, the only RCT is being published just in 2016. It was 90 infants only. Uh, they looked into babies more than 34 weeks and we're probably we can, we can involve more babies if we go down the 32 weeks or 30 weeks. Uh, and this, is, uh, not, this wasn't encouraging uh, at all and it, there was no big difference between using caffeine or not using caffeine. Uh, so that's the only strong evidence that I found uh, which does not favor caffeine in bronchiolitis. The other four studies are just retrospective and uh, small numbers only. One of them is 25 babies, the other one is 54 babies. Yes, it's not really something very strong you can build on a case, you know, just to argue, uh, you know, towards the use of um, caffeine and bronchiolitis. 
or in favor of bron- uh, caffeine and bronchiolitis. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I put, I put a, a statement by the end that hopefully we need the collaborative work, you know, between the pediatric emergency, between the general pediatrics and the pediatric intensive care, uh, just to see, uh, to collect as much data as possible and as much babies as possible and just see if we can uh, do a proper randomized controlled trial on a bigger scale. Yeah, so what evidence we've got isn't that favourable, um, but I guess, like you said at the beginning, doing something and then things get better uh, has been the way with bronchiolitis for some time, hasn't it? Uh, and Absolutely. the more we've studied it, the more we've found doing something just gives us something to do um, yeah. whilst, whilst the bronchiolitis improves regardless um, or despite um, what we're uh, intervening in. That's great. Thank you very, very much. I think that fits in beautifully with our critically appraised note uh, from this month, asking people to think about different age groups, because what works in a premature neonate might not work in your one-month-old newborn or your infant or your toddler or indeed your primary school age children, because even though we are clearly aware that children are not little adults, it's also true that neonates are not little children. Absolutely, absolutely. I think we we need to look into a bigger scale, a multi-center, probably randomized controlled trial, uh, looking in depth into whether caffeine really is a drug of choice or probably we need to look for other drugs otherwise. That's lovely. Thank you very much for taking time out of your shift to come and talk to us today. Um, That's been really good to hear from you. Um, And I would like to encourage anybody, even intensive care people, to submit other Archimedes in the future.